personalized pens this time, printed golfing umbrellas previously. His whole ordering and shipping department was in a mess. Two big customers, Avis Car Rentals and Apple Computers, lost to competitors in one week. Terrific. The company name, Brycewright, had been his wife Kelly's idea. A tad corny, he'd thought at the time, but as she'd pointed out, it was a name people would easily remember. Bryce Wright supplied business gifts and promotional clothing to companies and clubs. Its product lines ranged from overprinted pens, calculators, mouse pads and executive desk toys to T-shirts, baseball caps, sportswear and trophies. But the business was creaking under the weight of debts. He'd expanded too fast, just as he was over-mortgaged at home. He should never have let Kelly convince him to trade up houses, not when the market was moving down and business was in recession. Now he was struggling to stay solvent. And, despite all he told her, there was still no let-up in Kelly's obsession with spending money. Almost every day something new, bought mostly on eBay, and, because it was a bargain, in her logic it didn't count. The train clicked and clacked, rocking, shaking, nearing home now. The dickhead started again. Hello, Bill. It's Ron. Ron, from Parts. Yeah, that's right. Then Tom heard the wail of another phone. His own. He pulled it out, checking the caller's name, and answered it. Hello, darling. Yeah, I'm on the train. T-R-A-I-N. It's running late. He smiled at the dickhead relishing a sweet revenge. While he continued talking to Kelly, lowering his voice to a more civilised level, the train pulled into Preston Park Station, the last stop before Brighton. The dickhead, gripping a cheap-looking holdall, got off. The train moved on. It wasn't until after he'd ended the call that Tom noticed the CD lying on the seat beside him. He picked it up, and examined it for any clues as to how to reach its owner. The outer casing was opaque plastic, with no label on it. He popped it open. The silver-coloured disc yielded nothing either. He decided he'd load it into his computer and see if that provided anything. Failing that, he planned to hand it in to lost property. Not that the dickhead deserved it. In moments, they'd be approaching Brighton Station. There wasn't enough time now. He'd have a look at home later. If he could have had the smallest inkling of the devastating impact it was going to have on his life, he'd have left the damn thing on the seat. Squinting against the low evening sun, Janie Stretton eyed the clock on the dash. 7.55pm. Christ. Unlike his owner... Bins the cat had no hot date tonight. He sat sulking in his wicker carrying basket on the passenger seat, staring morosely through the bars. Janie was back a lot later than she'd intended. She'd been kept waiting over half an hour in the vets before finally being ushered in to see Mr. Conti, who'd spent a lot of time examining the lump on Bin's back. Then he'd done his best to allay her fears and had listed the possibilities but he'd asked her to bring the cat back in tomorrow for a biopsy. 
She turned into her street, looking ahead for a parking space, hoping to hell she was going to be lucky. She saw a small space, braked and reversed in. Not perfect, but it would have to do. She picked up the cage and climbed out. It was now one minute to eight. Half an hour to get ready. Her date was a control freak who insisted on dictating exactly how she looked each time they met. He'd tell her in advance what dress to wear, what jewellery, and even where in the flat he wanted her to be waiting. It went totally against the grain. She'd always been an independent girl, and had never allowed any man to boss her around. Yet something about this guy had got to her. He was coarse, Eastern European, powerfully built, flashily dressed, and after just three dates she felt in his thrall. Even thinking...